This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Cullum. And this week, I sit down with David and Krista Dunham to discuss their journey with eating disorder recovery, which is chronicled in their new book, Table for Two, Biblical Counsel for Eating Disorders. This is a difficult topic and conversation. So please know if you or someone you know has an eating disorder, this episode can serve as a springboard, but counseling and community support, along with the book, are needed for eating disorder recovery. As we begin this week's conversation, I want to encourage you to send this episode to a friend who could benefit from hearing or share the episode on social media because someone you know may be suffering from an eating disorder and has yet to reach out for help. You can also visit graceenoughpodcast.com slash table for two to view the episode, show notes, and link to the book and any other resources mentioned. Good morning, Krista and Dave. Thank you for joining me for the Grace Enough podcast. Thank you for having us. It's yeah, great thank to be you. here. Absolutely. I'm excited for our conversation today. I feel like it is a topic that is rarely covered from a Christian perspective. And so before we jump into what we're going to talk about, I would like each of you just to introduce yourself, tell everybody a little bit about your family, what you do, and uh, maybe just the name of the book that you guys, well, by the time this comes out, will be uh, released. Uh, We are both biblical counselors. And so, uh, Uh, I counsel primarily in my role as associate pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in the Detroit Metro, and uh, Krista gets to do counseling a little differently. Yeah, so I just help out in the ministry as well um, and just volunteer um, like one day a week to to counsel, Um, but I'm also mainly a homemaker, and right now I'm getting my master's in counseling from Westminster Theological Seminary. Um, and I take care of our three kids at home, a uh, 13-year-old daughter, 11-year-old son, and a four-year-old daughter. That's awesome. Well, so Krista, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. So Krista, you, you do quite a bit with kids as well in the ministry, or at least you used to. Is that correct? Yes, I, I used to at, at our previous churches. Awesome. Yeah, she's doing a lot of curriculum development there and things like that, and uh uh, at the time at that church, we uh, we didn't have much of a children's program. So Krista was kind of heading up a lot of that. So that's awesome. That's not an easy job. I know not because I've written curriculum, but because I have kids and I've worked in kids ministry. So <laughs> it's not easy. Um, and then tell us a little bit about uh, the book that's coming out. Um, we've written uh, co-authored a book called Table for Two, Biblical Counsel for Eating Disorders. Uh, and it is uh, part autobiographical and part counseling resource. So it's, uh, it's uh, our story of, of Krista's struggle with an eating disorder and my struggle to learn to be helpful. We've written what we think is the book that would have helped us uh, many years ago. Yes, I agree. Well, Krista, let's start with you. In the book, you write, as a Christian, it frustrated me that knowing 
loving, and following God hadn't completely protected me to succumbing to an eating disorder. And I think so many of us with struggles can relate to that. And so take us back to when you first began to struggle with these addictive food behaviors and share a little bit of that journey with us and just a little bit about how that struggle ensued for the next 10 years. I think it started farther back than I even realized that it did, that all through um, even elementary school, high school, um, I had somewhat of a perfectionistic attitude about everything. Everything had to be just right. But I think when I really saw the eating disorder take hold was in college, I, I gained the weight that a lot of college students gain. And it, it really frustrated me more than I thought that it would. Um, so it started more just as a diet. I would just watch what I was eating, but it slowly crept into more than that. I then made rules about only salads for lunch, um, no desserts. And then it just gradually evolved. I just kept adding more and more rules. And then I even noticed I was starting to skip class to go to the gym. And there was a point that I discovered that it had more of a hold on me than I had on it. Mm. I had been in a pretty bad car accident and I came out without any injuries, but it could have been a lot worse than it was. And it really shook me up. And when I came back um, after um, Thanksgiving break, when the car accident had happened, I started eating everything that I had in my room. And then I felt guilty and overwhelmed. And so I decided the best thing to do was to get rid of it. And, and I, I purged. And that was the first time that I really noticed this, this is out of control. Mm. This is more than I know how to handle. I think I describe it as just sort of staring down the belly of the beast, you know, just, it, it really scared me. And so I reached out to uh, my boyfriend at the time, my husband now, David, and I didn't really know even what I was doing when I said, this is, this is bigger than I know what to do with. Um, I need help. I think at the time I really thought that, that knowing God knowing everything I'd learned growing up was going to protect me from something that terrible. I I think I had been naive to think people who struggled just didn't have the right kind Mm. of faith. And it really opened my eyes to, to something different. And it even opened my eyes to the fact that I thought that good morals were the same as being obedient to God. Mm. And I learned a lot about, my allegiance, I guess, to God, I thought that I was being obedient and following him when all I was doing was obeying rules that were giving me the right product from obeying those instead of just being obedient to God because I loved him and wanted to honor him. Wow. Isn't that so true for so many of us, that whole Mm -hmm. morality piece and the struggle with Mm -hmm. that? Well, you did end up eventually marrying Dave. And as you describe in the book, it's not easy. You don't just naturally know how to support someone walking through this. And I think even so, as Christians, we apply morality to it from the opposite Mm -hmm. side, right? Um, I had a roommate in college who also had an eating disorder And my faith combined with the way that I had dealt with problems my entire life, which was if I shut you out and block Mm. you out, it goes away. 
and it was destructive. It wasn't healthy for her and it wasn't healthy for me. And so mm-hmm. Dave, tell us a little bit about what that journey was like for you from the opposite perspective. It's very similar to how you described there. I mean, uh, Chris and I got married when we were very young. Uh, we both uh, were 21. I think Chris, in fact, had just turned 21 uh, before we got married. Uh, we were still in college. Um, uh, you know, I Naive. was very, in the- <laughs> yes, very much so. <laughs> Neither of us really had any ideas about life, let alone about marriage and the commitment investment uh, involved there. And so, you know, when she um, first divulged this problem, you know, I immediately wanted to be helpful. I was concerned. I cared. But the, the longer it stretched on, the less confident I felt and the more frustrated I got. Uh, and so not knowing what to do and being immature and feeling uh, very much like, you know, this is just a moral issue. You need to just stop. Uh, you need to just, you know, uh, love God more, give it to God, this and that, all the Christian cliches. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that was, you know, the bent of so much of our early conversations were me moralizing and um, getting frustrated. And as that, you know, created tension, we eventually just kind of stopped talking about it. Uh, I think Krista got better at hiding things and was Mm -hmm. a little bit more deceitful, partly because she knew I wasn't going to handle it well when she brought it up. And I didn't know what to say and what to do. And so I didn't bring it up either. And so it just kind of lived quietly within our marriage for many years. Uh, and it would come up only when dramatic consequences started to make themselves evident in various moments. Mm. Wow. And so as we begin to just talk about the journey out of that, and that journey is long and requires a lot of work, I want to make sure that people understand how similar um, an eating disorder is to how it parallels addictive behaviors. And so you all put that in the book. It's very important. It, mm-hmm. it really resonated with me. And so Dave, will you just kind of share how those parallels, um, what they are? You know, addiction research has gone through kind of an evolution mm-hmm. uh, and people will talk about uh, not just substance abuse, but they'll talk about sort of behavioral addictions. Uh, some of that language isn't helpful, but some of it really is. And especially I think as it applies to things like uh, eating disorders. And so there's a couple of parallels that we mention in the book. And one is just the, the pleasure factor. As with substance abuse, eating disorders create a sense of physiological and psychological pleasure. Um, so a number of people who perform certain behaviors, whether it's binging or purging or restricting, they'll talk about a sort of psychological high they get from either giving into their cravings or resisting those cravings, being able to control them. Yeah. And so there's a, a pleasure factor that starts to compound our experience. It's not just a behavior. We, we get some delight and even um, uh, joy out of it. Mm. But along with that is a sort of enslaving factor. So the, there's a joy that we get, but it's never long lasting. And so the, the practices of an eating disorder become uh, entrapping. We have a kind of a love-hate relationship. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of... Um, Paul's words in Romans 7, uh, I do the very thing I hate. Uh, And that seems to describe a lot of people's experience with eating disorders. Um, What gives them pleasure also causes them to feel trapped and trapped particularly in cycles of shame. So I I feel frustrated, discouraged, shameful, ugly, whatever. And I do these destructive behaviors and they make me feel better 
momentarily, Mm -hmm. but then I feel shamed and discouraged and broken because I do these behaviors. And so the cycle starts over and it just gets stuck in this repeat. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing is just the sort of physiological changes that happen in us. Uh, Again, as with substance abuses, our body is impacted by these behaviors. It takes its toll on us. Um, you see that in, in the, the sort of description of the types of symptoms that people experience. Our bodies and our brains are impacted. And so we develop cert- sorts of dependencies and cravings on the behavior, the need to do it. Um, and then our body has to really be retrained to understand basic things like hunger and fullness and pleasure and calm because our body has been so um, impacted and our view of those things so distorted. Mm. So those are some of the factors. Yeah. Yeah, And I mean, Krista, as you think about those things, you do talk about how the sufferer, and and I think everybody knows this, who's actually had an addictive type behavior take root in their life, that you have to be ready to change. Like, and no matter what people do to you, I mean, we hear about it from alcoholics. We hear about it from, you know, eating disorders, sex addicts, whatever it is, shopping. I mean, you have to be ready to change and put in the work before change really happens. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about that readiness, what took place with you where you were finally felt like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to do this. Well, I think, as I mentioned before, the first thing that really um, put me in the mindset to change was that I was scared. Mm. I didn't like where the path was leading that I was on and I wanted out. And so I felt like at that moment, I was definitely ready to change. And I came to David and admitted to him things. And I felt like, okay, this is the point where I'm going to be able just to move on from this. Mm. We are going to deal with it. I'm going to change and it's all going to be fine. And it wasn't fine. And I think so over the the course of time, I kind of sunk back into degrees of, of readiness to change that we even presented in the book. Um, we had talked about um, denial um, and then just moving from that considering and then investigating and then seeking and then completely ready. And I fell back into some of those other categories just because it was hard. It was a lot harder than I thought it was going to mm-hmm. be. I think there were even times I went all the way back to saying, um, I don't really have a problem. This is something I can live with and it's okay. I just have entries from my journal where I had written things like, I, I think that I'm, I think that I'm over this and it was probably, Mm. I don't know, quite a few more years till I was actually really over it. So Mm. I think there are just various times where I would go back and forth And it would be from one day to another day, it would be different. And I think that's really key for, for people who are struggling to understand, to know that one day doesn't have to mark Mm -hmm. um, where the recovery is going, that just to recognize, Mm -hmm. okay, today is a day that I'm not really on board as much as I, as I should be. And that's why it's vital to have a helper and not Mm -hmm. to do it by yourself because your eating disorder just messes with how you think about things too. When you're not as ready as you should be, then you can have the support to be more ready. Um, But like you were saying, Mm -hmm. 
there has to be a factor of the person who is struggling has to be ready. You can't force somebody to change when they're not even at a place where they, they see a problem. Mm, That's very difficult to do. Well, and Krista, would you also uh, say that you can face a trigger that will send you right back into the beginning phases of readiness, or has that not been your experience personally or with other people? I think that you can have all of the right scenarios in place to say, I am ready life is going well, and I am definitely ready to change. And you can even be moving on that right course and struggle really comes when you're faced with hardship in your life. And, and yes, definitely it can send you back farther in the, the readiness to, to change spectrum just from various things that could happen in your life. And I think that's important to keep in mind as well, that when circumstances change, Um, It could change the course of your recovery, but it doesn't have to um, be a mark of that. You're not changing, you're not progressing or, or that you can't get better. It's just, there's a new obstacle to um, evaluate. How are we going to get through this particular situation? Yeah. Yeah. And I think as a helper, it's important to keep that in mind too, to be able to say to a sufferer, this isn't square one, you're you're not starting all the way over. You're just having a a, a difficult road at the moment Mm. and try to keep uh, the focus on moving forward versus feeling like I've started all the way back at the beginning. Oh yeah. That's a good word for sure. Because I would think that would be, that can be frustrating for both parties, right? Like really, are we, are we doing this again, but to not lose sight of the ground that you have already um, moved forward on? Hey, Grace Enough podcast listeners, I can't wait to tell you about an amazing new resource I've found, Kaleidoscope. Their vision is so cool. They help kids and parents bridge the gap between storybook Bibles and adult translations. Adult translations are typically written at a high school level or higher, but Kaleidoscope retells every book of the Bible in beautifully designed and illustrated single volumes with the elementary aged kids in mind. Our family has some of their books and we love them. This month, they have two amazing new releases, Over the River, The Story of Joshua, and their first volume in the Minor Prophets, Sound the Alarm, written by the hysterical and talented Caroline Saunders. Go ahead and visit readkaleidoscope.com where you can take 10% off today with the code GRACE. You can also find them on Instagram at read.kaleidoscope to learn more. Kaleidoscope, the new kid in kids' Bibles. With that said, David, I you, you learned really how to come alongside Krista, but again, that was not easy. And so what are some ways for somebody who might be listening that are, you know, loving and effective ways to actually support and encourage somebody in this process of change? Because I know myself, I want to just scream and be like, what is your problem? Like, move on, you know, even though we're the exact same, like we don't just move on either. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that perspective in and of itself is so valuable is just reminding ourselves that 
uh, you know, we don't have any advantage here in our own life. We've got our own issues and our own struggles. And so that level of humility can be valuable. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have these categories all those years ago, but um, at this stage in life, I look back and I, I recognize certain practices that a, a counselor named Diane Langberg talks about in her books on trauma uh, and trauma counseling. And she talks about working with someone and, and using sort of what, what I call three T's. Um, talking, tears, and time. Mm. And I think when it comes to support, especially, you know, for most people, they're not trained eating disorder specialists. And so, you know, where on earth do I begin in helping a loved one work through this? Um, What things can I possibly do? And I think those three things are the most valuable things. When we talk about support, that's really what we're talking about. Uh, Being able to talk with someone, give the other person an opportunity to express hurt, anger, discouragement, ask good questions, um, uh, care about uh, their struggles, empathize with them as much as you can. And then tears, just being able to, to sort of weep with them, mm-hmm. uh, admit that those changes and, and recovery is hard, admit that um, you know there's something about the eating disorder that, that at least in their own logic works for them and why it's hard to give that up. And so you know, giving them opportunity to just be sorrowful and be with them. Uh, and then time, uh, you know, one of my greatest regrets are all the ultimatums mm. that I gave to Krista. I mean, at one point, even, even sort of threatening divorce. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, that, that did not put any kind of encouragement in her to change it, it fueled either discouragement and despair, or it generated anger and, and, uh, you know, sort of hostility. And so time giving people time to make change, to work on things, you know, assessing risk is always important, but I think generally we want to allow people time to work through things. So talking tears and time are the the big things. Mm. Goodness. Isn't that the truth? If we all could just put ourselves in the right place of it's not near as long as it feels sometimes Mm. when we're on the journey, right? (laughs) When you think about the full timeline of life, it's not near as long those few years. Well, Krista, the reality is there are no quick fixes and we've already talked about as Christians. um, And one of my pet peeves as I've gotten older is just these mantras that we, you know, like God's grace is enough. Well, we believe that, but chanting that at someone doesn't really fix anything, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for the brain, the heart, the mind, And so when we think about that, you know, you had prayed various prayers, you were walking with Jesus, Dave was walking with Jesus, you knew scripture, but the process is long and hard. And so what are some of the ways that once you really began, not just praying the prayers and knowing the scripture in your mind, but actually trying to apply principles from them that you began to find freedom? I think part of the problem was my expectation was that I would repent of what I needed to repent of and it would be over or I would find the right Bible verse. And if I just (laughs) knew this thing to be true of God and to be true of what Jesus did for me, then I would just, I would realize it and I would move on. And I think I really had to realize that, that knowledge is not the same as being obedient. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. um, I've talked with other people about this as well, that 
I think when you're struggling with something like this, there has to be somewhat of just planned obedience where you, um, even when you don't feel like it, you know what you're supposed to do and you continue moving forward in that. So I think I thought that if I, if I prayed really hard and I prayed in the right way, that something would come to me and I would, I would receive, you know, a blessing and I would receive um, this sort of power to, to move on. And when it wasn't happening that way, it was very discouraging to me. And I think there was a whole period of time where I just, um, I even just said, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't, I don't know that being a Christian is really working yeah. for me because I had a wrong perception of what that really meant. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to do what I was supposed to do and then receive something from it. And so um, I think what really changed for me was just realizing that there's this slow, steady obedience to getting better and not a figuring something out and moving on from it. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard for us to see um, how that's really working except to sometimes stop and sort of put it on a graph to say, okay, this is what sanctification really looks yeah. like to just slowly move up and sometimes drop back down and move back up a little farther. And it's not just this, I did something. And so I automatically get to move up. And so once I was able to see that a little more clearly, I was able to do the things that I knew that I was supposed to do and just keep doing them, even when they weren't giving me the benefit that I thought that I was supposed to get from it. So I think I wrote about in the book, there was just a time where I, I sat in the driveway and prayed. And I just, I prayed because I knew what was waiting for me inside the house. Um, I, I knew there was temptation in there to, I was going to be alone. I could do whatever I wanted to do to feed my, my, eating disorder. Um, and I just sat in the driveway and prayed. And I feel like in that moment, I was able to resist the temptation to do that specific thing, but it wasn't necessarily this great jump in my sanctification. It was just one, one step. And another thing I think I worked through was just meditating on the character of God mm. so that, that slowly my idea of God changed. So it wasn't just this expectation of, well, now I know God, I can move on. And it's more of, I have to remind myself of that still every day. Absolutely. It's not a check mark in a box. Mm -hmm. It's a slow, steady getting to know somebody. Mm -hmm. And my idea of, of reaching perfection was just tossed out the window because um, there's in this life, there's, there's no perfection. And, um, and to rely on myself for that was very detrimental to myself because it was, it was a lie. It was never going to happen, but moving more towards the idea of like, I was talking about this slow, steady sanctification. That's just obedience every day, regardless of how I feel and sometimes getting it very wrong, but knowing that Christ lived a perfect life for me. And Christ died a perfect death for me hmm. so that I could continually realize I cannot, I cannot handle that myself because when I do, I, 
could clearly see the mess that I had made for myself Mm. in trying to do that. Another thing that just really helped as well um, was just realizing how much fear was behind some of the the things that I was doing and um, a verse that really meant a lot to me in my recovery. And just in the course of time after that was um, first John 418, um, just talking about how perfect love casts out fear and living in fear is not how God wants us to live. And that manifests in so many different ways. But for me, it was just a control issue of trying to, to gather things and, and control things that weren't mine to control. Mm. Well, and I think about, um, I don't know if it was Eugene Peterson or if it's Henry Nowen who says long obedience in the same direction. And I remember reading that the first time and just being like, yes, it is a long obedience, you know, and it's just, or Pilgrim's Progress, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's why sometimes we resonate with that story so much. It's like up the mountain, down the valley, you know, down in the valley, around all the obstacles, And that's just, we're never going to get there until we meet Jesus face to face. If we could all just keep that perspective. Um, But it's really hard sometimes Mm -hmm. when you're in the middle of it. So um, thank you for that. And that does lead right into talking about some of these core issues. You mentioned fear, control. And so either or both of you if you'll kind of dive into what are some of those just core issues that we see that kind of lead people into, uh, or typically lead people into um, an eating disorder. Yeah. I, I, I like the the idea of typically, because of course, you know, everybody's motives are their own. And so there's right. nuances to them. And, but there are some common ones, some that mm-hmm. do sort of generally appear and and as with Krista's story, you know, uh, we see in a lot of people's stories, this issue of control, this desire to sort of um, have mastery over my body and my urges or to sort of overcompensate for control in this area because I feel out of control in some other area or unable to control in some other area. And so uh, control is really a big one. Um, I think we list five in the book. Um, there certainly are more than that, but we list control. Uh, self-medication, um, sort of a, a, an escape or a comfort from negative emotions, um, appearance, which I think is uh, the one most everybody thinks of as it relates to eating disorders, pride, which, um, you know, even in our own experience and in our own research was a surprising one um, because, you know, eating disorders feel so, they, they seem like they manifest from so much insecurity. And of course they do, but there's this sense of pride that can compound uh, the motives behind it so that, you know, even Krista's own experience, she could describe moments where she recognized she felt better about herself because she was more in control of her urges than other people, or she tell herself no, or she, you know, kept all her food rules this week. And so there became this sense of accomplishment, this sense of, of sort of uh, self-congratulations. And then the last one was punishment. Uh, this idea of I do destructive things as a way of punishing myself. You don't get to eat because you were bad today um, or you did this thing. Uh, And in each case, you know, and and one of the things we try to do in the book is to point people to ways in which God fulfills those longings differently and more fully. So, you know, we're never really in control of our circumstances, at least not as much as we think we are. And yet we have a God who, who, 
is in control of all things and loves us. So Peter talks about casting your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He's able to be in control, but not just, not just he's in control. He also loves us. So, you know, it's better to put control in his hands than to try to hold on to it in our own. And the same thing with self-medication, recognizing, you know, Paul says to the Corinthians that we have a, a that our father is the God of all comfort. So learning to view God that way. And in each case, being able just to go back and see how God fulfills whatever the, the deeper longing behind that motive is. Now, it's not a simple sort of correlation. If I just believe that truth about God, I'll get rid of the, the bad habit. But it's certainly a valuable starting place and a, and a, a vital tool for moving forward. Yeah, well, and I think about um, when you're really meditating on the character of God, um, and, and it's interesting, and maybe one of you all can speak to this, how we have, we do have this mindset of, if I do this, then the next day, God is going to set me free from this. And I'm like, how, how do we get there? Because, <laughs> like, you know, you look at Moses, and I, I always go back to this, because I'm like, the, the dude hung out on a hill with sheep for like 40 years before <laughs> like God did what he said he was going to do with him. Right. I mean, we just have this long list of people in the word. And I feel like sometimes because we read it and it's so like chapter by chapter that we yeah, forget sure. that no, like Abraham, I mean, he waited for decades for this. Yeah. Yeah. So and- I don't know, like Krista, how do you go about met um, really when you think about the character of God do you have rhythms that you kind of go through with that? And um, there's no pressure there, but you know, where during the morning, you're just like, God, you're this, this, and this, or um, things that you do that really helped. Yeah. I think really staying in good Christian fellowship where conversations mm-hmm. like that are normal mm-hmm. um, yeah. has been really helpful because to just keep living the same sort of patterns that I would have lived before would have not been helpful. So I think just you know, surrounding myself with, with things where even when I am tempted to forget about God or not remind myself of his character, there are plenty of people around me who, who are ready to share what they are experiencing of God Mm -hmm. right then. And even just, um, and that can come through even reading Christian books or, Mm -hmm. you know, and obviously, you know, being in the word every day, it's easy very clearly to see God's character revealed in, in every verse of the entire Bible, you know? So if you remain in the word, you are going to see God's character all over the place. And, and it's easy as time goes on to forget what you read before. So just, you know, continuing in that direction and just setting up Mm -hmm. situations where you are having conversations like that um, is, is really important. And reading, I think we've talked in the past about reading with an eye towards the character of God. So, um, you know, reading and, and asking the question, what does this passage, these set of verses tell me about God? Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we can either get caught up in the narrative of a, of a Bible passage sometimes, or we can get caught up in the familiarity of it. And we can kind of overlook some significant details about sort of how this text describes God, how this text describes God's interaction with us. And so, you know, from time to time reading with a, that particular question in mind, um, that's been helpful. 
Yeah, I love that because it's true. So often, I think in our culture, particularly, we're like, what's the life application for me? How is this about me? An episode that's coming out with Heather Creekmore, where she's talking about body image. She's like, you know, we've kind of done that with the verse we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Like we can get that tattooed on like anything. (laughs) And the reality is it's not so much about us as much as it is about look at God, look at what he does. Like he made all of these beings to be in his image. And that's a really different perspective than I'm so great. I'm so awesome. (laughs) So it's so true. Um, And then Susan Alexander Yates is another woman of God that really points to his character a lot. And she says, you know, I just have to remind myself, like he's a go before me, God, he hems me in before and behind. And the way that she talks about the character of God is like, blows my mind. So um, I just like to mention those things sometimes for listeners, because it's a great thing to hone in on. Well, as we begin to close up here, speaking about your book, it really is for the sufferer and the helper. And so for someone listening who maybe they are right in the middle of an eating disorder, maybe they're recovering from one, or maybe they are the spouse, the child, the parent of someone walking through it. What is something that you would want to leave with them as we begin to close out? You know, the premise of our book is that you can't do it by yourself. Mm -hmm. And so that would be just something I really would want to encourage someone with is that if you're currently by yourself and trying to, to handle whatever you're struggling with, bring someone in with you and find, find a helper. I think another thing that just has really become even more important to me recently is just how much Jesus really did for me and how that should change the way that I look at my previous battle with eating issues and my continued battle with just sin in general mm-hmm. is that I, I don't have to get it perfect. Mm-hmm. And I, I should obey because I, I love God. I love Jesus, but I'm not going to get it perfect. And that's, that was so important for me to understand. That's not really necessarily my, my job. It was, it was Christ's job. He took care of it. And so for me to constantly evaluate based on my own perfection is, is me taking on a role that I wasn't meant to take on. Mm -hmm. And so turning that around and laying that all on Christ is such a, a huge change that I think is just the core of really what has helped me to get better. Um, and to know that he, he died for me, he died for any of the, the things that I think, you know, I did, I did wrong and the things that I needed to repent of. And he, he is with me through the suffering that, that any of this has caused or any of the suffering that may have caused this just Christ is the, the vital piece to really getting better from an eating disorder. Mm, thank you, David. Yeah, as I think about the helper, in a lot of ways, my answer will be similar. Uh, you can't do this on your own. Uh, and I think that's one of the things, you know, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I didn't 
take the time to ask and research and look for help. And, um, you know, being a helper is hard work and being a helper with a loved one is particularly hard work because you are so emotionally invested in their well-being. Um, you know, Krista's recovery was really, I mean, it was significant to me because I was as invested in her safety and health and stability as anybody. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it was easy for me to get frustrated really quickly. It was easy for me to try to offer simple platitudes and, and try to press things to move forward. And so I needed help. I needed somebody who could kind of walk with me and somebody I could share my frustrations with because, you know, telling Krista how irritated I was by her behavior wasn't really <laughs> helpful. <laughs> but, but talking to somebody and being able to share that, being able to have somebody pray for me, somebody hold mm -hmm. me accountable, and then somebody give me wisdom and support as well. So for helper, I the helpers, I would say, you know, on the one hand, you cannot force your loved one to do anything. Um, you can simply offer to be supportive and loving and, and caring for them. Um, but at the same time, you're going to need help to do even that. And so mm -hmm. get your own uh, support and your own assistance in the process. That's right. Well, guys, if someone is listening and they would like to connect with you, what is the best way to do that? Uh, we're both on uh, social media, not that we're the most social media uh, experienced people, <laughs> but um, yeah, well, I, I'm on Twitter. You can find me. Um, I think it's pastor underscore Dave 619. Krista's on Instagram. Awesome. Yeah, we'd love to, we'd love to connect that way. Yeah. And then the book again, guys is table for two biblical counseling for eating disorders. And so thank you guys so much for being here today. I'm grateful for your time and for you sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you. Did someone pop in your mind while listening to Dave and Krista? I hope you'll share this episode with them via text, email, or on social media. Don't forget to visit graceenoughpodcast.com slash table for two for show notes, book link, and to show your support for the show. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by Wheaton College's M.A. in Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership, which prepares Christian professionals to serve others faithfully and excellently. Called to help people facing disasters, human trafficking, poverty, or displacement as refugees? Visit wheaton.edu hdl.